All right, folks, why don't we go ahead and we'll just try to get started a little bit tonight. I do apologize for starting. A few. I really am one that likes to start on time because I like to get all the time in we can on Tuesday night. Uh, we are studying First and Second Peter this fall, as you all guys know, um, and there's a couple reasons for that. When I was brought on staff here at Cornerstone as the teaching pastor, the first book that we studied last fall was the book of Philippians. And Paul, of course, wrote that book. And then last winter, we studied the book of Revelation, and John wrote that. So as I was thinking about what book to uh, study this time, I thought, well, we've had a book by Paul, we've had a book by John, now we're going to get Peter's perspective on things. Um, a couple things about the mind, just to share with all of you, and they're, they're continuing to try to get more chairs, folks, so thank you for bearing with us. This is a great problem. Uh, a couple things about the mind for those of you that have never been in one of my classes or whatever. Three things I like to accomplish in any of my Bible studies, but especially in the mind. The first one is I try to be passionate about what I teach. Okay, I get a little excited about teaching the Bible. Um, so those of you that know me know, oh yeah, here we go. But I am. I'm just very, very enthusiastic about sharing the Word because my belief is how can anybody else get excited about the Bible if I'm not excited about the Bible? How can anybody get enthusiastic about what God's Word is saying if I can't get enthusiastic about it? So you're going to find that, that I'm going to be very passionate each week about what I share. Secondly, this is another, I'm going to be very practical. And that's part of, I think, what attracts people to the mind is I'm going to be sharing things that you and I can apply to our Christian life and our walk with God every day. All right? It's not going to be this, you know, information and stuff like that. It's going to be practical stuff. Now, here's what I want to say, though, to try to encourage you folks. I'm going to be throwing a lot of information your way each week. And some people were like, whoa, you know, Jeff, you know, you're, you're giving me a lot. I realize that a lot of this information, you and I could never digest at one time. But what we need to do is say to the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us, give me one or two things that you really want me to focus on out of all the things that Jeff has shared Tuesday night. All right? So it's going to be practical, but again, to encourage you and not to discourage you, also remember that a lot of this stuff, it's like, you know, you're a bear sitting in the river. All right? And all this fish is coming your way. And you're just, you know, if you get a couple of fishes out of Tuesday night, you're doing okay, okay? So don't get discouraged. Third, positive. Uh, we live in a negative world, and I believe that God's message to us is positive and encouraging. And I want, as a goal, every Tuesday night, after you've went to work or school or whatever, and whatever you've dealt with all week or all day, I want you to come into this room, and I want God and His Word to lift you up to refresh you, to revive you, to encourage you, so that when you leave here, even though you may be very physically tired, your spirit and your soul is going to be refreshed, all right? It's going to be positive. So passionate, practical, and positive. Now let's get to this before we get into the message tonight. Peter. One of the cool things about studying First and Second Peter is this. No one had a closer relationship with Jesus Christ than the Apostle Peter. So when we study Peter's letters in the New Testament, we get a very unique perspective on Christ, on his ministry, and just on spiritual things, because Peter had a very unique perspective on 
his walk with God and on being a disciple of Christ and all of that. The other thing I want you to remember, just generally, before we get into the book tonight, is this. Persecution. Persecution is the primary historical backdrop of this letter, 1 Peter. In other words, at the time this letter was written, Nero was the emperor in Rome. And Nero was getting a lot of flack from those who were underneath him in the Roman Empire. He was a terrible leader. Nobody liked him. All he thought about was himself. All he wanted to do was tear down and burn more buildings in Rome so he could build more buildings to tribute to him and all of that. And he would blame things and began to blame things on this group within his empire, the Christians. They were an easy scapegoat. And because Emperor Nero began to blame things on Christians, Christians began, and and it was going to continue to intensify as time went on, they were going to be under some severe persecution in their life. So, again, one of the reasons why I wanted to study 1 Peter is 1 Peter is a very encouraging letter because he's writing to a group of people who are under tremendous, intense persecution. They are really being tried for their faith and for their stand for Christ, and he wants to encourage them. He wants to be passionate, practical, and positive in his message to these folks to lift up their spirits, to refresh them, to revive them, to have them keep on keeping on even though they're living in the Roman Empire under Nero and they're suffering tremendous persecution. So keep those things in mind as we approach 1 Peter, our study of 1 Peter. Now, a couple other things. If you heard the announcements, if you read the bulletin inserts or describing what the mine is all about, it's this. I will share for a few minutes and then I will stop. And I will ask for questions, comments, input, whatever. Because it's not just going to be me standing up here for an hour and 15 minutes and teaching. It's going to be me teaching, but also I want your questions, your input. And it can be questions about, you know, obviously what we're studying at the time. But you know what? If you come in here and and you just have a question, it may be something that I might say, hey, uh, could I talk to you after class or something like that? But there may be a connection. You may say, well, after you said that, that brought up a question about this. Because listen, folks, I, I want to encourage you to ask questions. It's not that I won't, always have the, I won't always have the answers, but I'll at least try to find the answer for you if I don't have it off the top of my head. The best way to learn God's Word and to study the Bible is to ask questions. I've been studying the Bible for 30 years, and the best way I have learned to study the Bible is to ask questions, all right? So please, we want to encourage questions. We want to encourage your input, encourage what you're doing. Um, I think that's all I'm going to say now. Let's get into it, shall we? That's what you came for. First Peter, let's turn to First Peter chapter 1, all right? First Peter chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I'm going to ask God to help me and to help us tonight. I want to get everything we can out of this tonight. By the way, great group tonight. This is super, super. Over a hundred here tonight. That is just super. You know, this is cool because, see, if we bust out this room, then, you know, we'll have to find somewhere else, like an outdoor amphitheater or something. (laughs) Whatever. So that's good. That's good. And you know what? I don't want what you see here tonight to discourage you. If, if, If God is working in your life through this Bible study and you want to invite people to come next week with you, you invite them. We'll figure out where to put them. Don't be discouraged inviting people to come. Because you know what I think? In a church of a size of Cornerstone, 3,000 people that come here through on a Sunday, 
I believe there's a lot more than even a hundred that could use a Bible study like this. So there's people out there in our Christian community who would really benefit from something like this, and you may be able to touch their life. I don't even know who they are. So please, I'd encourage you to invite them if you know somebody that would, that would really benefit from this. Let's ask the Lord to help us tonight. Father, we thank you so very much for meeting with us tonight, for giving us your word, for being here, Lord. And we just pray tonight, most of all, that you would be honored and glorified by what we say and what we do. We want Jesus Christ to be lifted up in all of our hearts and all of our minds. We are here to worship you. And as we worship you, Father, we want to look into your word tonight. And we just ask that your Holy Spirit would ultimately be our teacher. Remove me, Lord, and get me out of the way. And Lord, may you teach through me tonight what you have for all of us to encourage, to refresh, to revive us tonight, Lord, we pray. We thank you for each and every person here tonight, each and every home, each and every family represented. And we pray tonight, Lord, that every person, it is our goal, that every person would leave here tonight having been encouraged and revived and refreshed through your spirit and through your word. And these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Key verse in 1 Peter is 1 Peter 1.13. And I want to start there tonight. And the reason I want to start there tonight is because in 1 Peter 1.13, not only is it the key verse, but the first 12 verses that we're going to look at tonight are really building up to verse 13. Because in 1 Peter 1.13, here's what Peter says. He says, Therefore, get your minds ready for action. I want to stop right there. All right? Anytime you and I are studying God's Word and we're reading it, and we see the word therefore or wherefore, what that is telling us is that what he has just said has already been built up ahead of time. So that when he comes to verse 13 and says, therefore, everything that he said from verse 1 through verse 12 it's building momentum up to that word. All right? Key word. Therefore and wherefore when you read and study the Bible. So when he comes to therefore, get your minds ready for action, everything that he set up to that point, he's building this momentum. And here's the first thing he says in verse 13. Get your minds ready for action. In the old King James Bible, it was actually a very cool picture. It was gird up the loins of your mind. You're like, what in the world is that? Okay? Well, it's it's a Middle Eastern uh, phrase. You see, in those days, in Jesus' day, they would wear robes. And in order to really get involved with something or work or get active in something, they literally had to take their robe and they had to tie it up so it wouldn't be cumbersome, so they could get going and get do things and bend over and pick things up and whatever. So what he's saying there is what we would say, get your mind ready for action. And what he's telling us there is simply this. He's saying to all of us tonight, listen, God wants to do a work in our hearts and minds tonight. God is always at work. And the first 12 verses of 1 Peter, Peter's just telling us God's always working. God's always working. Therefore, verse 13 Get your minds ready for action. Because God now wants to do a work even here tonight. God wants to do a work in your life. Therefore, get ready when God does begin to work to respond to Him. You see, God wants us when when He's working to respond to what He's doing. 
And this same picture is found in the book of Exodus when God told Moses, listen, I want you to lead the people out of Egypt and the Passover is coming and I want you to to celebrate Passover. But when you celebrate Passover the night before you leave Egypt, I want you to celebrate it with your staff in your hands and with your shoes on your feet. In other words, God is saying, I'm going to do something. So get ready to respond when I do it. In other words, when Pharaoh says, okay, get out of here. I'm tired of dealing with you. Then you're ready to go. Same principle here. Peter is saying to these people who are under tremendous persecution by the Roman Empire, who are suffering, he's saying, but you know what? God's working. In fact, I want you to know something. God's always at work. One of the books that came out a couple of years ago that really captured people's hearts was the book Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And one of the main thoughts in that book was God is always at work. In John 5, 17, Jesus says, My Father is always at work. Now, that should be encouraging to us because you know what? There are times in our life where we don't think God's working, where we think, God, I prayed about this. I don't see anything happening. But see, the message of the Bible is this. God's always at work. It may be behind the scenes. I may not see it with my my physical eyes, but I've got to trust that God is always at work. That, That person that doesn't know Jesus Christ that I'm praying for, God's always at work in their life to try to bring them to that point. So God is always working. And Peter, when he says that in verse 13, so if God's always working, get ready to respond to him. That's the message, the first message that he really shares after he builds up to that in the first 12 verses. So again, how do we apply that? Well, as I said, I think God wants to do a work here tonight. And we just need to have our hearts and our minds ready to respond. And again, it may only be one thing. It may only be a couple things that really stick out to you that the Holy Spirit says, whoa, 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 Jeff, I I want you to focus particularly on that, that part of it. That's what it may be. But whatever it is, as we go through this study, let's say to God right now, God, I know you're working. I know you're going to work in this Bible study throughout the fall in my life. You're going to use this study in my life. I'm anticipating it. I'm expecting it. That's the language Peter's using in 113. It's, it's, a, it's an expectancy. It's an anticipation. God wants to do a work in our life. God wants to work in other people's lives. And because we expect him to do so, get ready to respond when he does. Get ready to respond. Get your minds ready for action. All right, with that said, let me go back now and share a few thoughts in the first couple verses, and then I'm going to stop for a moment in case anybody has any questions or comments. With that said, no wonder then he starts out with Peter, and let's remember, Peter was ready to respond. You remember the story when Jesus called his disciples, Peter and Andrew are there, they're fishing, that's what they did. Jesus comes up to them in the Gospels and says, hey, fellas, come and follow me. And the Bible says Peter and Andrew left their fishing boats, and they went. And they followed Jesus. They had come to a point in their life where they they didn't even know an hour before that that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was going to approach them. But God had been working on their hearts even before Jesus approached them. So when Jesus came to them and says, Hey, fellas, you want to leave your fishing business? You want to become fishers of men? Why don't you come and follow me? They left their nets and they followed Jesus. They were ready to respond when Jesus called. The other thing we notice here when Peter starts out with his name is this. We are encouraged by that name, just the name Peter. Why? Because we are reminded that God is, our God is a God of potential. He sees the potential in you tonight. 
Because remember, when he met Peter, he wasn't Peter. He was Simon. And Jesus comes up to Simon and says, Simon, you're Simon now, but you're going to be Peter. A rock-like man. Dependable. Sure. Able to handle the crises of life. Well, he wasn't like that when Jesus met him. But Jesus saw the potential in Peter. And Jesus knew that if Peter would just open up his heart and life to Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ could just pull all that potential that he put into Peter when he created him out of Peter. Jesus wants to do the same thing with you and me. He he doesn't see where we are. He doesn't focus and concentrate on what what we've been and what's in our past. What Jesus wants us to focus on and what he's focused on is where he wants to take us. And that was true of Peter. He saw what Peter could be, and he sees the same thing in your life. So be encouraged tonight. And that's what Peter wanted to encourage these folks with. Hey, I I was a Simon, but Jesus turned me into a Peter. And Jesus can do the same thing with you. God is not only the God of potential, but God is a God of purpose. And you'll notice here, Peter says that this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now again, that word just simply means one sent forth. And it just simply is reminding us that whenever Jesus called him, Jesus gave him a purpose. Jesus has a purpose for every one of us. And that purpose is different. He's given us all different gifts and abilities and talents, and he's wired us all differently and all that kind of stuff. But none of us live on this earth as a human being with no purpose. No. The Bible clearly teaches we all have a purpose. And and that purpose may change throughout our life and throughout our walk with God. He may have one purpose for us at this time in life and another purpose at this time in life. But you need to know that even right now, you may have come tonight and said, you know what? I don't really know what my purpose is right now as a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, my prayer to you would be then, you know what? I'm praying that through this study and maybe through being here at Cornerstone and and rubbing up against other Christians who are also going after God, that you and the Holy Spirit and through His Word and all of this, you're going to find what your purpose is right here and now at this time because you have been placed on this earth, 2006, for this time, and God has a purpose for your life. Notice, from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those temporarily residing abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, the province of Asia, and Bithany. These basically describe what is now northern Turkey in our modern map. Okay, And here's one of the things that also Peter is saying. That when we connect with God, that we are connecting with something eternal. Because notice he says, and by the way, God, I know you're going through a terrible time right now. You're being persecuted. But please always remember and keep this perspective. You're here on this earth temporarily. This earth is not your permanent home. What you're going through is not permanent. In fact, you know what one of my phrases in the Bible is? And this too shall pass. And this too shall pass. (laughs) It doesn't matter what you go through. It's going to pass at some point. I had a kidney stone two weeks ago. It passed. I'm so glad it passed. Everything eventually passes. And what Peter here is saying to these folks is he's saying, hey guys, don't forget something. You're on this earth temporarily. One of the things I've shared in the mind since I've come here is, listen folks, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, whatever you're going through, this is the only hell you will ever know. This is temporary. You and I are a temporary resident. We are just 
passing through, as they say. And I don't care if God allows me to live a hundred years on this earth. Compared to eternity, that's like a grain of sand on the seashore. That's a very short time. So Peter is saying, please keep in mind something. When you and I connect with God, we're also connecting with eternity here. And that's why the Bible says, like in Colossians 3.1, when Paul says, and if we've been raised with Christ, then let's set our affection on things above. Or when Jesus in, in Matthew 6.19 and 20 says, that's why I don't want my followers to accumulate things on earth. I want them to accumulate or lay up treasure in heaven. Because this is all temporary. And we are simply temporary residents. And then he goes on to say this. Not only are we temporary residents, he said we are residing abroad. That word in the original language literally means through a sowing. And what God is, what Peter is saying here is simply this. And that's why he gave different cities. He says, and, and God has gathered you and then scattered you. And he has sprinkled each of you like salt all over northern Turkey so that his witness is not just concentrated in one place, but it's spread all over northern Turkey so that people all over northern Turkey can know about the one true God because you've been scattered. You've been sprinkled like salt. It'd be just like if you put your salt just on one side of your eggs and not on the other side, real salty on one, not on the other. Well, when God salts us, when God scatters us throughout the Phoenix area, the valley, Chandler area, whatever... He's spreading us all out so that his influence and the impact of Jesus Christ can be felt all over this valley, not just in one spot. And so Peter's reminding him of that. Where has God sown you? Where has God sprinkled you? Jesus said in the Gospels, you and I are the salt of the earth. And he wants to spread us around so that that salt can, can attract people to God. So it can create a thirst and an attraction for the things of God, all right? And then, that whole... Con- and that's why church is so cool. Because it really does go back to the fact that God gathers us together on Sundays and on Tuesday nights and Wednesdays and Thursdays, but gathers us together as groups, and then we scatter out in the community and spread. So it's like we come for our, for like a, you know, all right, let's get together, let's do it, yeah, and then go out and boom, you know, we're out there, we're impacting the world, we're, we're changing lives as God uses us out there. That's the sort of the principle here in Scripture. And then he goes on to say that you guys are chosen, at the end of verse 1, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You and I are not an afterthought to God. We are a forethought. In other words, God didn't just like, oh yeah, yeah, Jeff Royce, okay, yeah, I guess I do need to figure out something for him. No, no. God thought about Jeff Royce thousands of years before Jeff Royce was ever born. Same thing with you. That's what it means here. And and, and that should be an encouragement to these people under persecution because it's not like their birth caught God by surprise. It's not that anything caught God by surprise. It's not that what they're going through caught God's. God doesn't ever have to react to anything. He's always proactive because he knows and so he's ready and, and so for even you and I, we, we were like, yeah, well, I'd like to create some human beings. And I, no, it wasn't like that at all. He, he really thought, and he wanted to create you and me. And he wants to have an intimate relationship with me. In fact, that's the reason why he created us. God created us to have a personal relationship 
with him. And that wasn't something that was just like, well, I guess that's all I've got left. No, that was his goal from the very beginning. And that's what Peter is reminding us of. And then he says, but when God comes into your life, God's going to make a difference. And that's why he says then we are set apart by the Spirit for obedience. In other words, how can the God of the universe come into my life and not make any difference? Peter said, that can't be. I mean, when God comes into your life and into your being, there's going to be a distinctive lifestyle that begins. That's what that whole concept of being set apart is all about. It's just saying so that so that others can see that God truly makes a difference. I mean, what good it would, would it be if, if I go around in the community here and say, yeah, God really makes a difference in my life, but as people look at my life, they go, well, I, I don't... You don't look any more joyful than I do. You don't look like you're filled with any more hope than I am. You don't look like you have any more patience than I have. So you're saying that God it was really a big difference in your life, and you're so glad you have this relationship with God. But if I look at your life, I don't see where God's made it. You see, that's what set apart you. God is saying, and when I come into your life and I develop this personal relationship with you, it's going to begin a distinctive lifestyle that other people who don't know me are going to be able to look at your life and my life and the way we talk and the way we act and the way we react and all of this. And they're going to say, you know what? God makes a difference. And that's what Jay Schrader was sharing at Friend Day here this past day. As he was in the NFL, it was just that God made... How comes you can act that way and the rest of us, you know, we would react a different way? And that would give Jay a chance to say, well, it's because I've got God in my life. He's the one that's enabling me to do that. That's what it means. The other cool thing I want you to see here that I thought was a real encouragement is notice in the first two verses of 1 Peter 1 that Peter mentions everybody in the Godhead. There's Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Spirit. All mentioned in the first two verses. And what Peter is encouraging these folks then is this. He's saying, do you realize the whole Godhead is involved in your life? You know, there are people today who they need to hear that God cares about them. He, he wants to have a, He wants to be involved in their lives. And, and, man, Peter's even saying, hey, not just that, everybody in the Godhead. God the Father, He wants to be involved in your life. The Holy Spirit wants to be involved in your life. Jesus Christ wants to be involved in your life. They all want to be involved in your life. God wants to be involved in your life. And then he says this, for obedience and for sprinkling with Jesus Christ's blood. We talked earlier about the fact that God's working and we need to respond. Here's what God did. God sent Jesus Christ to shed his blood. That was, in a sense, the divine provision. Obedience obedience is the human response to that divine provision. Jesus Christ shed his blood, therefore Peter's saying, isn't it just logical that then we should be obedient to the one who gave his very life, his everything for us? And then he goes on to say, may grace and peace be yours in full measure. In other words, he's also reminding these folks as he's reminding us tonight, and guess what, guys? God's resources are infinite. 
And, and however much grace you need with what you're going through, however much peace you need, however much mercy you need, however much forgiveness, whatever it is, God's resources will be there. And because He's God, His resources are infinite. That's why Paul said in Philippians 4.19, My God shall supply all your need according to His riches, not out of His riches. Because when you and I go into the cupboard to get out something, that means that there's less after we got it out. And that's why Paul didn't use the term out of. Because when God goes into his bag of resources and pulls something out for me, that doesn't mean, oh, and by the way, because he gave Jeff something, guess what? You're out of luck because there's none left. No, no. He says it's according to. Why? Because God's infinite. And because God's infinite, his resources are infinite. So God can keep going in there, getting what we need, and giving it to us in full measure as much as we need. That's why I love that passage in 2 Corinthians 1 where God says, to, especially I think to those who are grieving, He says, listen, God is the God of all comfort. So if on a scale of 1 to 10, you need a 10 comfort, God's there. In fact, God's comfort will surpass whatever we need. Whatever we're going through on whatever scale we want to use, God's resources is always higher. That's why the Bible says where sin abounds... God's grace superabounds. God's resources are there for us. They are infinite. They never run out. And they're always available. What great encouragement to these people as Peter begins to try to encourage these people going through some very, very, very rough times. Okay, that's it. Let's go. No. <laughs> I got a lot more. Comments, questions, thoughts. Tomatoes, whatever. <laughs> yes, Steve. You just uh, said that we're, there's lots of sin and God and lots of grace. Where did that come from? The, where does the grace come from? Well, it's the fact that if there's an increased amount of sin, there's be an increased amount of grace. This is the last thing you just said. Oh, well, uh, boy, what reference is that? Let me think about that. Let me think about that. I might have to get back to you on that. Anybody have a concordance? <laughs> yeah. I want to say off the top of my head Romans, but I'm not sure. But I'll think about that. Yes, sir. Oh, exactly. Yeah, you don't presume upon the grace of God. Exactly. Yeah, I think I think what what I was I think what that verse is trying to say is there are some people who one of the reasons why they don't come to God is because they say, oh, I've been too bad. I've done, I've done too much sin. God could never love me. He could never forgive me for these bad things. And I think what that verse is simply saying is, none of us can come to God saying, I've done way too much bad for Christ's blood to ever cover. And that's when that verse says that where sin abounds, God's grace superabounds. It's not so much talking about, like you guys were saying, taking advantage of the grace of God, because that's not what it's about. It's more about when we come to God thinking that somehow I did something so bad or I've done so many bad things that God could never forgive me for it. The Bible says, no way. There is nobody 
whoever was born who's done so much bad that God's grace could not forgive. So that should be an encouraging thing. Yes? It's Romans 5.20. Okay. I thought it was in Romans. I thought it was in Romans. Yes, question. Yeah, like both those so, what if you're sorry for a you did way back when, but at the time you were a believer, at the time you're like, oh, I know God will forgive me, so I'll do it anyways. And you were taking advantage of grace back then, but now I turn around, or now, you know, you turn around and are sorry for, you know, want to repent of it. Right. You know that you're taking advantage of grace back then. Okay. Yes, question. If I took advantage of God's grace at a point in time in the past, but now I have grown to the point where I'm sorry for that and I don't want to do that anymore, has that been forgiven? Yes. The key is, again, don't forget in this Christian life, and we're going to talk about this, especially in the first chapter of 1 Peter when he talks about being holy, and there's a whole misconception about what that means. But God understands there's no way we're going to be perfect as human beings on this side of glory. But what he is looking for in a personal relationship with him is progress. So how I like to say it even and challenge my own heart is this. I hope that Jeff Royce is a little bit more like Jesus Christ today than I was yesterday. I hope Jeff Royce is a little bit more like Jesus Christ this week than I was last week, this month than I was last month, this year than I was last year. God is just looking for us that as we grow in our relationship with Him, that we are making progress. Now, for a lot of us, sometimes that's three steps forward, two steps back. But as I like to say, at least we're still one step further ahead. And you know what? We're going to fall. But you know what? The key is not to stay down. The key is to know that in God's grace, He's there reaching for us and wants to pick us back up. And, and he wants his children to be part of that, too, where if we see somebody who's fallen, that we're out there reaching out our hand and pulling them back up. In fact, let me share this with you. If you go down, and then I'm going to stop for just a... Blessed be, verse 3, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, by his great mercy he gave us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A lot in there, but let me just point this out. The word resurrection literally means to stand up again. So, you know what, if you're dead and you can stand up again, you're resurrected. Jesus stood up again after he was dead. But the cool part about that is the Bible says that he's also infused within us that resurrection power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to believers today. Therefore, you and I can fall. But through his resurrection power, God can enable us to stand up again. And it's not that we're not going to fall. It's not that others aren't going to knock us down. It's not that we might not go through persecution and hard times and trials and suffering or whatever. But God is saying, but my grace is sufficient. And through the enabling resources that I can give you, you can get back up every time because of my resurrection power. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Proverbs 24, 16. It says, although a righteous man may fall down seven times, and that number means a lot, really. It's just saying you can fall over and over. He gets back up every time. It's not that we're not going to fall, but it's we're going to get back up every time. And God can do that for us, and hopefully God's people can encourage us to do that as well. Yes. I was going to say, in Philippians, Paul, again, it talks about not, uh, looking, not looking at what's behind you, but rushing on to the goal. Yes.
Philippians 3.10, I have not apprehended, I have not arrived yet, but I put the things in my past, in my past, I press toward the goal of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And if anybody had a troubled past, it was Saul, it was Paul, who was responsible for maybe murdering Christians and having Christians thrown in jail and stuff. He had a lot in his past that he could have said, you know what, that past is going to hang on me like a weight for the rest of my life. And God had to come into his life and say, look, Paul, I, I know you did those things, but I am forgiving you of those things and I am freeing you from those things. And I don't want the rest of your life to be focused on the past. Again, as we talked about even at the beginning here, I want your focus to be on what the future is, on what the potential is. Because when God met Saul on the road to Damascus, just like with Peter when he met him, it was all about the potential. Oh, there was a lot in his past that God would have not been pleased with, but God saw the potential in Saul and saved him and made him one of the greatest Christians who has ever lived. God sees our potential, folks. He's not, he's not as focused on where you've been, what you've done, where you even are right now. He wants to take you, though, to where he wants to take you, where he created you to be. He And, that's, and part of that is being a part of a ministry like this and Bible studies and Christian encouragement, that's what it's all about. That's why getting into the Word is so important, so encouraging. All right. Yes? Um, I guess one of, one of my biggest fears is that I'm going to be in a situation and I guess people aren't going to see, um, I guess, Jesus in me. Like, at work, I work with a lot of non-believers and they all know that I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. So then if I do something at work where I make a mistake, I don't know how to respond to them so that they don't think of less of Jesus, you know, in that view. If I'm in a room full of Christians and I make a mistake, that's I feel comforted by that because I feel like... They know what you're going through. Yeah, yeah they know. They understand that part of it. Yeah. But I don't know how to respond to a non-believer when I'm being human. Okay. About, you know, because they're watching me and that's... Saying to them, oh, this is what Christianity is. And sometimes I want to be like, no, not right now. Right, right. <laughs> Come back tomorrow. <laughs> I'll be the new and improved chef. Yeah, I get that. Well, you know, that that's tough because, hey, look, like I said, there's going to be times where our witness is not what it should be. I think the best thing to do with people, and I've had to do this, is you be honest with them. I say, look, I... I should have navigated that moment differently, and God would have given me the ability to do that, but I chose not to take the strength that he would have given me to navigate that differently, and because of that, I I fell, and I apologize. Because God's power was there for me to do it right, but I didn't tap into it, and because I didn't tap into it, I fell. Because, again, that way it's showing them that it's, it's not a deficiency in God, that I fell. It, it wasn't God. God's sufficiency was there. It was the fact that I didn't tap into it. One of the stories that I tell is a true story about how important it is that we tap into the source of our strength. There was a school in Texas, an elementary school, that burned down many, many years ago now. And uh, because it burned down, I mean, nobody was harmed or anything, but it was off hours when nobody was at school. So they put this state-of-the-art sprinkler system in this school so that it would never burn down again. Well, a week after the school was finally built and the sprinkler system was in and all that, it burnt back down. And the reason it burnt back down is because they had this state-of-the-art sprinkler. They had the greatest resource you could have to prevent it from burning back down. But somebody forgot to hook it up to the water. 
Well, guess what? As Christians, here's what we have. We have the state-of-the-art spiritual resource. We've got the Holy Spirit of God living within us. We've got the Word of God in our hands and in our hearts and in our minds and whatever. We've got all these wonderful resources, but we got to tap it. We've we got to plug into them. It's like God is saying, yeah, I, I've given you this. I've given you the church. I've given you Bible studies. I've given you all these spiritual resources and opportunities so that you can grow. But you and I have to take advantage of those opportunities. And that's why I encourage you folks, because guess what? You're by even being here. (laughs) (laughs) Even by, that was a distraction from the devil. (laughs) Even by being here, you're giving yourself an opportunity to continue to grow. And all I'm saying is this. That if there's folks out there who could be here and who's not, and you're taking advantage of it and they're not, hopefully then again, what's that going to do? Well, you're going to grow, and and hopefully you're going to be maybe a little bit further along just because, again, you tapped in, you plugged in, you got involved. I mean, one of the things that Pastor Lynn is always saying to folks here is, hey, it's great that you're coming here, we love you're coming to Cornerstone, but eventually... You're going to have to get to the point where you get connected, where you get involved in a Bible study like this, a small church, a small group, you know, Camber with Pastor Ron, uh, children's ministries with Stephanie, you know, something out there. There's all kinds of things to plug into to begin to use the things that God has given you and then also to be ministered to as well as ministering. One of the things I always share with people, and I should have even started off with this because this is just sort of one of my, you know, little things is... If you and I want to live a balanced Christian life, we need a Paul in our life at all times. It doesn't have to be the same Paul at all times, but we all should have a Paul in our life. Somebody who's our spiritual mentor. Somebody who's building into my life. Then we all need a Barnabas. Somebody that we consider a spiritual equal, who's about on the same level that we are. Maybe we've been Christians about the same amount of time, and we're we're about even, but you can encourage each other. You know, that's the and you we all need that. And then we all need a Timothy. We need somebody in our life that God can can use to us to encourage them and to to uh, mentor them and to disciple them and to whatever. So we all need, and again, it doesn't have to be the same Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy all through our life. It's going to be different people as God weaves them in and weaves them out. But in order to be balanced, God wants us to get ministered to, but then he doesn't just want us to be a spiritual sponge that keeps soaking it and soaking it and soaking it and getting thicker, 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 thicker. No, God wants us to just be a, a conduit to flow out what he's building into our life. And we see that certainly with Peter. Peter finally got it. And all the things that Jesus Christ taught him and all the time that Jesus Christ spent with him for three years while he was following him, he finally got it. And guess what? He's passing it on to us in First and Second Peter. And then we in turn can take what we're learning from First and Second Peter and we can pass it on to somebody else. Yes, Carlos. So Jeff, one of, one of the things that I heard in response to, to your question is, especially a lot of times you only have time for a one-liner is that's why I need Jesus. Because it it shows that you're continuing to be a sinner even though you're a Christian, right? But you acknowledge that you need Christ in your life. And and it's a good conversation starter for people that have questions on why you would say that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Good. Good. Anything else? Comments? Questions? 
Notice in verse 3, he talks about a living hope. I want to end with this concept tonight because this is so important because we live in a world, folks, where there's a lot of hopeless people. That's why we have such problems with depression and discouragement and all kinds of things today. In fact, the Bible really just divides the world into two groups of people, those with hope and those without hope. Read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. There are those with hope and there are those with no hope. And Peter is saying to these folks who are going through a tremendously hard time and suffering persecution that you and I have a living hope. Why? Because our hope is not a concept, it's a person. Notice he says you and I have a living hope because we have a living Savior. And as long as Jesus Christ is alive, we have hope. Now I want to make this differentiation as we study the Bible. When we use the word hope in the English language, it is not the way the Bible uses the word hope. Totally different word. Same in the English. I mean, it looks the same, but it has a totally different meaning. When you and I use the word hope in English, we're talking about something that's wishful. Something that, you know, we wish happens, something that we say, I hope it happens, but we have no surety of it at all. It's something we desire, but not something that we can have any confidence about at all. Okay? That's not biblical hope. The word hope in the Bible is a word that means confidence and expectation. Going back to even the beginning in 1 Peter 1.13 when he says, guess what? God's going to work, so get ready to respond. You've got to have that kind of anticipation and expectation. Peter is saying here, God, through Jesus Christ, has given us a living hope. Meaning that I can even approach persecution and whatever with a confident expectation. What's that mean? That means that I can trust God that even though I don't understand it, maybe, that I know God ultimately has my best interests at heart. Because I'm not going to understand everything that happens to me and to other people. If I understood everything that God did, I'd be God. (laughs) And I'm not going to be God. And God asks us, in His Word, to be able to follow a God that we don't always understand. We've got to get to a point where we are willing to follow a God that we don't always understand because He's infinite. He's holy. He's totally separate from everything else that He created. And God has given us the Bible so that we can understand a lot. And His Bible is everything that we need, but maybe not everything that we want. And that's why some of us, we have questions that God in His Word hasn't answered yet. And maybe He will answer them when we get to heaven. But His response would be, but, but my Bible is everything that you need to live for me down here on earth. It may not answer everything you want, but in this book is everything you and I need. It is a living hope that we can have confident expectation. And that's where, then if you go over to verse 13, Peter says this to these folks, Therefore, be ready to see God work and get ready to respond by being fully sober and setting your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, I'm just going to concentrate on the hope part of this verse and then pick it up here next week, Lord willing. Because I want to allow a few minutes here at the end. We've got some things I want to cover tonight. I want to go to that phrase at the very end. Notice, set your hope 50%. Set your hope almost completely. 
Now, the Bible says in 1 Peter 1, and this is why this is such the key verse of this whole book. Peter says to these people, folks, I know you're going through a rough time, but here's what you and I have to do. We have to set our hope completely on God. Remembering that hope is not a concept, it's a person. It's, to, it's where I get to the point where I say, God, I don't even understand, but I just trust you. I just, I just trust you. And I'm, I'm not putting my hope in people. I'm not putting my hope in companies or businesses. I'm not putting my hope in anything on this earth. Because you and I all know, here's one of the reasons why Christians and non-Christians alike are walking around, some of them, with no hope anymore, and why they're discouraged and depressed. Because there was a time in their life, and I've been there too, where I put my hope in another human being, and that human being let me down. That human being disappointed me. That human being hurt me. That human being wounded me. And because I put my hope in them, rather than completely in God, my hope was dashed. And I began to think, Is there? An, can I have hope? It's because my hope was placed in the wrong place. And God is saying to us in 1 Peter 1.13 that you and I have to get our eyes off people. We have to get our eyes off anything on this earth, anything that's made by human hands. And we've got to anchor our soul in Jesus Christ and Him alone because He's the only one that won't disappoint us. He's the only one that won't put us to shame. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 6.19, that kind of hope is truly an anchor for our soul. We can sink our hope down deep and it's not gonna, it's not gonna be rocked because it's in the right place. You see, it's not the amount of faith that we have as is important as the object of our faith. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, even if you have faith the size of a what? Mustard, mustard seed. seed. You ever seen a mustard seed? They're not very big. So it's not like God says, you gotta have this much faith, you know. No. He says, listen, it's not the amount of your faith that's as important as the object of your faith. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, but you put that size faith in me, you can do amazing things. And that's what God wants to show us tonight. Where's our faith? Where's our hope? Peter said to these folks that were going through tremendous persecution, don't put your hope in Nero, don't put your hope in the Roman Empire. Don't put your hope in, you know, your fellow Jews or Gentiles or whatever. Don't, don't put your hope in anything man-made. Put your hope completely in God. Boom. The eternal realities that cannot be shaken, that are totally stable. You go through the Bible, and man, folks that were used of God to be great witnesses and stuff, look at like Daniel, thrown in the lion's den. Where was his hope? Was it in Nebuchadnezzar? Daniel never put his hope in Nebuchadnezzar to be able to get him out of that. Daniel prayed to the God of heaven. And if God chose to get him out, great. He knew that he could. He didn't know necessarily that he would. Same thing with Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, King, we're not going to bow to your idol. And our God can deliver us. We don't know whether he will or not. But we're not putting our hope in you to deliver us or to save us. We're putting our hope in God. And if God chooses to save us, great. If he doesn't, great. But we're not bowing to your idol. And they stood up for God. They were thrown into the fiery furnace. And you know the story. Jesus Christ was in there. In the midst of the furnace. Because Jesus won't always keep us from the fire, but He'll be there with us through the fire. You can count on that. He may not keep us from the fire, but He'll keep us through the fire. And that's what Peter's trying to get these folks to see in 1 Peter. He's saying, guys, I know you're going through the fire. But next week we're going to learn about that because Peter says in 1 Peter, but that trial of your faith, it, it's like a burning furnace. 
but it's much more precious than gold. And God is using this fire in a great way to not only bring honor and glory to Him, but to strengthen you and I and to make us all that He created us to be. What a great and good God we have. Folks, you've been great tonight. Thank you so much for being here. Comments or questions before we wrap it up tonight? Isn't God good? Yes. Yeah, good. <laughs> yes. I just had a comment to share. Yes. Um, I read a book called Left to Tell by Immaculate. I don't remember the last one about the genocide in Rwanda. Mm. And an inspiring story about how she established a personal relationship with God. And she was locked in a bathroom in a preacher's house for over three months with very little food rations with six other women. It's like three by three. Wow. And she came out. I think 67 pounds. But the inspiring part of her story was how she learned to separate her spirit and her physical body mm. and to connect with God on a level that allowed her to love these people who were hunting for her and killed her family and all of her loved ones and her entire the people that she knew. And um, <clears throat> the most inspiring part in that story was God's ability to really use us in our weakest time when we it takes persecution for us to get to a point in our life where we're humble enough, I think sometimes, to hear the soft whisper. Mm-hmm. And I try to remember that in my life when I think, gosh, why did that happen? Why is this happening to me? Or why does this happen? And it seems like in order for things to get quiet enough, sometimes yeah. I think we have to be brought to that level where we're willing to hear. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. And, and God, and, and I, I can give personal, I'm sure you can too, that there's been times in your life where you know the only way you were able to do what you did or say what you said was because God was just taking over and just empowering you. It wasn't you. It was, God was carrying you and carrying me, and, and we were going places where... We never dreamed we could go and do what we could do. But God just kept us going one foot in front of the other. And there have been days in my life, and I'm sure in your life, where you didn't feel like getting out of bed. You didn't feel like going to work. You didn't feel like putting one foot in front of the other. And God, through that still, small voice, and through the Spirit, and through His power, saying, but I'm going to give you the... I'm just, you're not even going to remember how you got through the day, but I'm going to get you through the day. And there were days in my life, I didn't even remember after the day was over, what did I do? It was so bad. What did I do? How did I get through the day? And God was saying, well, you might not remember, but I did get you through, didn't I? And I'm just going to do the same thing tomorrow. We're just going to keep working at it. And that's, that's what God does. He's just awesome. He's just tremendous. But we need to tap in. He's there. His Holy Spirit's within you. If you know Christ as your personal Savior, He's given us the Bible that's living and powerful. Power in this book. Power. That's why I'm so passionate. This book is powerful, folks. We just got to tap into it and read it and study it. It's there. The church is powerful. Jesus said the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. Tap into the power that's here at the church. And my friends, he's given us those resources to keep us going, even through the toughest of times. You and I are living in an unbelievable time in history. I believe it is the last days. And so it's going to be a very challenging time, a very difficult time to live for Christ. But also, you know, light shines even brighter when it's darkest. And and folks, you and I have a tremendous opportunity here in this age to really step up 
and just see God work in unbelievable ways. We're seeing it happen here at Cornerstone right now. Folks, we can see it happen even through our individual lives. We just got to turn it over to Him. Before we go tonight, a few things I wanted to share with you tonight. One, one of our goals is that we would like, although if we have this many people, it might be a little bit more difficult, but we would like to have maybe a little refreshment or or finger food for everybody. And we have a sign-up sheet that if some of you would like to maybe bring some snacks each week, we have that in the back. In fact, I'm going to put it on the table. You're going to put it on the table. Okay. By the way, this is my wife, Lisa. If you have any complaints, she's the one, okay? She's the complaint department for the mind. No, I love her to death, and she is, she's just been a tremendous blessing. For We've been in the ministry 22 years, and we've been married 22 years. So we've been partners in ministry for a great number of years, and, and she's just a joy. Uh, but we've got that also. We, one of the reasons why we asked for your email tonight, if you have an email, is uh, we have now off of the Cornerstone website, the Mine website, on its own, and that you can go to and do a lot of cool stuff. In fact, part of that is I have on there uh, a, a way for you to pick what our next study will be after First and Second Peter. Whichever book gets the most votes... So that we'll do this democratically, that's the book we'll study. That's on there, all kinds of things. But also, I want this to be a family on Tuesday night, that as you come each week and get to because you probably saw some of you that knew that some of us, we, we know each other pretty well, because you spend every Tuesday with each other, you get to know each other pretty well. But what's cool about that is, this is not just a Bible study, we want to create a family atmosphere in here, just like there is at Cornerstone, where if one is rejoicing, we're all rejoicing, if one is hurting, we all want to hurt with you. And so you may have something come up in your week or whatever that you would like people in the mind to pray for. All you would have to do is email us, and we'll make sure that everybody then here gets that so that you know that you've got this group of people on Tuesday night praying for you. We want to tap into that that power that's present even here on Tuesday night. But there's so many cool things, and the guy who helped me with this, in fact, he designed it all, he did it all, I just sat there and said, yeah, that's cool, yeah, I like that, that's cool, is Mike. And I'd like Mike Haddish to come up here and share for a few moments few moments about that, and then we'll close in prayer and get you guys out of here before 8 o'clock. Mike. Okay. Oh, quick question. Yes, quick question. Next Tuesday, there's going to be a meeting at church at 6.30. That's Monday night. Is it Monday night? It's Monday night. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yes. All right. Sorry. Yes. Thanks. Well, you had me worried there. I thought, <laughs> oh, no, two meetings at once. Wow, this is fantastic to see so many faces from the last Bible study that we had here and to see so many new faces. I'm really excited uh, for everyone here, and, and uh, you're going to find out, those of you that are new, that as you read through the verses that Pastor um, Jeff has taken us through, uh, it'll never be the same uh, after he's taught them. He's really uh, very passionate about what he does. He does a great job. And also, I really appreciate all the questions that come out, because uh, a lot of the questions that you ask are the same questions that other people have on their minds and uh, I thank you for asking those questions, and then also the feedback and the stories are wonderful, too. Um, <clears throat> just quickly, uh, again, we do have the website that's up there. Um, a lot of fun things on the website. We've got a description of what the, this class is all about. Uh, we have the voting uh, on the new books that uh, Pastor Jeff talked about. Uh, we've got forms where we can get questions going on the website, uh, ask people, what is your favorite verse of the Bible, or... Uh, what's your favorite book of the Bible? We've got that. 
We've got uh, connections to uh, the weather uh, on the website. And believe it or not, we even have games on there. We've got Asteroids and Tetris and Pac-Man. And My games when I was and that's what That's what Pastor Jeff liked the most about the website. There's a lot of neat things on the website. And we've got, we've got links. I, I shared with Mike, oh, yes. there's a few really good Bible links out there. On the, like People always ask me, Pastor Jeff, what are some good Bible sites that I can go to to help me study the Bible? Yep. We put those on there for you, too, so you can link up to those. That's right. Yeah. One site claims that they have... What, 94,629 answers to questions. your Bible questions. Yeah. <laughs> so, great stuff. So anyway, get your name on the on the communication list, and what I'll be doing is sending you an invite to the website. When I send you that invite, it'll have a little code that you can put in, and basically anybody can get to our front page, but the entire website is only for the members here. It's, it's our own personal website. Okay, so <laughs> but anybody else can join. So I'll be sending you that message, um, and we look forward to having you join. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. When you see it and you come back, thank you, man. I appreciate him so much. He's been such a tremendous help through the mine and helping us out with that. We want to just create a buzz on here in Tuesday. You know, the kids have a great program on Tuesday night too. We want to have a great program for us as well. Thank you guys for being here. Let's close. Oh, what? Get ready to respond, because God's going to work. I'm telling you, he's going to work. Let's close in prayer, and I'll let you folks go. Father, again, we just come before you tonight so thankful for what you're doing in our lives. And we just pray that we would just continue to be open to your working in our lives. Father, uh, make us just make us able to respond to you. We, we know we can get so hardened, and we can get so stubborn. And Father, we can even know what you're telling us through your word and through the prompting of your Holy Spirit. But Lord, sometimes we can we can stiffen our neck and say, no, I'm not doing it. Father, help us just to, to be humbled and, and to be surrendered and to be submissive and say, God, in my heart, I know you've got my best interest at heart. I know that you've got the best life plan for me possible. And you see all the potential within me that I don't even see in myself. And God, through maybe even this Bible study and this group on Tuesday night, Father, you can take me to a place where I've never been spiritually. You can excite me about your word like I've never been excited to study the Bible before. You can show me things through your word that I've never seen before. And Father, you can grow me like I've never grown before. Father, take us all home safely tonight. Bring us all back again next week, Lord, excited to get back into your word here in 1 Peter 1. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a great evening. Any of those kinds of